Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, this is Lance Leonard with the Sports Drive, and you're listening to Tom Talks Baseball. Welcome back to another edition of the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. Glad you found us once again. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Tom Talks Baseball Podcast, Twitter as well at Tom Talks BBP. Got a fun episode for you today centering around the Amarillo Saw Poodles. First, we will take a look at the future of the Saw Poodles with their new affiliation with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Had a press conference on President's Day Monday and learned a whole lot about what's going on with minor league baseball, the D-backs themselves, and we even learned when the season might get underway, so stick around for that. And part two of the show today, we're going to look at Sod Poodle past a little bit. Kevin Charity with the Mad Friars joins me for a little bit as we take a look at the Padres organization. Of course, a lot of us still are fans of the Padres based on what happened in 2019, winning that Texas League title in the inaugural season. How are the Padres looking going into 2021? Who might we see wearing San Antonio Mission jerseys when they come and visit Hodgetown this year? Might still see some familiar faces. That's all coming up today on the podcast. Hopefully you're staying warm as this brutal winter weather is moving through the United States. But the good news is spring is just around the corner. And one thing about spring that we love is baseball. Baseball just around the corner. We got players reporting to spring training camps this week, which means we're getting closer and closer to the Major League Baseball and the Minor League Baseball seasons. Had a lot of fun on President's Day Monday earlier this week with the Amarillo Saab Poodles. They held a Zoom press conference to welcome the Arizona Diamondbacks to Amarillo. Of course, it is now official. The Saab Poodles are going to be the Diamondbacks AA affiliate for for 10 years, quite a commitment here in Amarillo. We are going to get to know the Arizona Diamondbacks and follow them as hopefully a number of these players make their way to Major League rosters. On the Zoom call, we got to hear from Tony Enzer, president and GM of the Saab Poodles. Also, the D-backs director of player development, Josh Barfield, and the big unit himself, Hall of Fame pitcher, World Series champion, and D-back special assistant to the president and CEO, Randy Johnson, was on the Zoom call, all of them welcoming Amarillo to the Diamondbacks family. They gave the media a chance to ask some questions, get to learn about things a little bit with the Diamondbacks, and I was able to ask a few, got some good answers from Josh Barfield and Tony Enzer on these, and got some audio for you today. We're going to start with my first question I had for Josh Barfield, kind of talking about how COVID-19 impacted last year. Of course, minor league baseball unable to play games the way the Major League Baseball teams did. I wanted to know if that hindered the development and improvement of the minor league players and what kind of strategies did they use last year that they learned might actually be good tools going forward. The the players were able to uh, to find ways to get better. It was an extremely challenging year for a lot of these guys, not getting to come out for the most part to uh, participate in the uh, 
in the 60 man pool that we had uh, on the major league side. So guys had to be creative and, and find ways to safely and uh, strategically uh, get better. And, and to their credit, they did, you know, our coaching staff and training staff was uh, in constant communication. There's video and data sent back and forth. And uh, you know, just seeing where the guys are now, I'm, I'm really pleased. And I, I think, you know, every team had the same challenges we did going into uh, with COVID uh, missing the whole year, but I really feel like our guys did a great job and are going to come out, uh, you know, better than most because because they did put the time and effort in. And then, yeah, just what we learned last year, I think just, uh, you know, we were extremely limited in, in our access to the players and what we were able to do. And just uh, realizing that being more strategic in our plans as we go into the season, giving them uh, clear uh uh, communication on, on what we're asking of them and, and putting together plans because we were able to spend a lot of the time on the coaching side and player development side of planning out how we want to go about this next season. I think that's going to allow us to come in extremely prepared and ready to go once these guys, uh, you know, uh, come in for spring training. And while last year they were maybe able to learn some things about how to go about developing players when you're not able to be around them, I'm sure they are looking very much forward to getting back on the field and actually playing baseball games and putting a full minor league baseball season together. Now, of course, the big news in the offseason with the minor leagues was the restructuring of minor league baseball. The bad news was 42 communities lost their affiliation with the minor leagues. A rookie level and short season ball was eliminated, and so each team now has four minor league teams, a low A, a high A, a double A, and a triple A. With the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Vasalia Rawhide will be the low A team, the Hillsboro Hops high A, of course here in Amarillo, the Saw Poodles double A, and the Reno Aces will continue to be their triple A affiliate. Because of the loss of two other teams in the minor leagues. I was curious if the double-A level would be viewed differently when it came to placing players going forward. Yeah, I think that's uh, yet to be determined. It'll be interesting because I think triple-A will always be that, uh, you know, the the insurance for the big league club, you know, the guys, the up and down type guys and with some younger guys sprinkled in. But yeah, I think double-A might go a little younger i still think it'll be the high-end talent guys the, the major league type talent uh that we've always seen before but i think you might see some of the younger guys getting pushed up just because of losing the short seasons losing the season last year and the draft guys coming in and the new international sign so i think it could be a little bit younger a league but i still think it'll be really talented and i still think you're going to see a decent amount of guys going straight from double a in the texas league to the big leagues so it sounds like for the most part double a still going to be kind of that proving ground for minor league talent do you have what it takes to take it to the next level to be a major leaguer it's still going to be used there but because you've lost those two other teams in your organization like josh barfield was saying maybe some younger talent comes up and you got to think if someone that young is coming up that means they're incredibly talented and might have a shot on a major league roster someday now of course the the big question that I've had all offseason long, we heard the reports back in January of splitting up spring training, having Major League Baseball and AAA players report to spring training on time, which they're going to be doing this week. Single A and double A level players reporting at a later time once those guys clear out, which means the single A and double A seasons possibly would start later since they're doing spring training later. So I was able to get an answer at this virtual press conference 
Sports, when do we think double-A baseball will start here in Amarillo? And Tony Enzer chimed in on this one as well. What we've heard from Major League Baseball, and, and Josh can chime in here too, I think there will be a little bit of a delay into the uh, to the minor league or the double-A uh, season as they do separate out spring training. So, you know, we've been told to be ready around the, the 1st of May is a, is a potential start time for, for double-A baseball. And, of course, that all depends on COVID. And there's, there's a lot of things that have to happen before then. And there's, you know, we've talked about what a great job uh, Amarillo has been doing as far as the vaccination rate and everything else. But, you know, we're, we're very excited and, and very encouraged, you know, because we're, we're now talking baseball. And players are reporting to spring training. And schedules are being developed. And we expect our schedule to be coming out in a very few short days. Um, so as soon as we get that, we'll, we'll be uh, – that out but josh I'll, I'll let you add anything else you want to add to that yeah no we're just you know like you said tony we're just waiting for uh, more information to come in from the league on on when uh we're going to start like the schedule should be coming out so that'll give us a better idea but till then the guys are just staying ready you know they're they're excited they missed the whole year last year so these guys can't wait to get going Whenever they find out that we're starting, they'll be ready. I promise you that. And I know that we will be ready, too. And from the sound of it, we should be ready very soon to know what that schedule is going to look like. We'll keep an eye on that. And, of course, we'll let you know on the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast Facebook page and on Twitter at Tom Talks BBP once we find out what the schedule is going to be for the 2021 season. Now, I said earlier, the big unit, Randy Johnson, was also on this Zoom call Friend of the podcast, Lance Lonert, had a great two-part question for the Hall of Famer. He wanted to know what kind of advice does someone like him who's had so much Major League success give to a younger player looking to crack the big leagues? And on top of that, what was a great memory you had when you were playing at the AA level? My message is, uh, is based on a minor league uh, experience myself. You know, I was a project for the Montreal Expos for, for four years. Uh, I got drafted uh, out of uh, uh, USC, and then I went to rookie ball, A ball, double A, triple A, and I stayed in in every uh, league the uh, entire season. I didn't get promoted a mid-season, so I... I became familiar with the fan base, the organization, uh, the, the town that I was playing in. Um, and, um, you know, I, I look back very fondly of, of all my minor league stops because it's uh, one reason why I enjoyed the major league level so much is I, I paid my dues in the minor leagues. Uh, and uh, things are a little bit easier now, uh, I'm assuming, at, at the minor league level, but, you know, there's, uh, there's many times where, you know, we had a, a late game and then we all loaded up on a, uh, it wasn't a, a really plush team bus. It was basically whoever got on the bus the soonest got the best seat. And so uh, there was many times where, you know, the buses back then in the, in the eighties were much like a Greyhound bus and, you know, I would somehow climb up in the luggage rack and, and you're right. There wasn't a whole lot of room to move around, but when you're six foot 10, it was really nice to be able to stretch your legs out. Um, and so those are the memories that I have and things only got better as you went up every step from a ball to double a and then triple a, you were, 
you were taking a uh, a commercial flight. Uh, and then when I uh, got the call that I would be uh, getting called up uh, from AAA to the major leagues in 1988, uh, Obviously, uh, things uh, got a whole lot better. And, um, you know, uh, the next year in spring training, I, I thought the coolest thing was when, you know, I had a glove waiting for me in my locker, a brand new glove and a pair of shoes. And, you know, I got, uh, I got you know, morning breakfast that they were providing a donuts and it wasn't watered down Gatorade or saltine crackers, you know, so... But when you pay your dues in the minor leagues, you really appreciate when you get to the majors. And I've never forgot my time in the minor leagues. And I think that's the message that I send at every level. And when you get beyond all the what the minor leagues are like, then you really, when the dust settles, it's really important for the minor league kids to realize what it takes to get to the major league level and then what it takes to stay there, you know, it's hard enough to get to the major league level, but obviously when you're there, you don't want to come back. And the biggest thing that I, I encourage when I uh, am at minor league camp watching the young pitchers throw is they need to understand the most important thing is being consistent, being able to go out there and perform at a consistent level because the organization needs to know what they're going to get every time they put that pitcher out on the mound every fifth day or in relief every day. Looking forward to having the Arizona Diamondbacks in town as the Saab Poodles are now the double-A affiliate to the Arizona Major League Baseball team. Had a lot of fun at that Zoom press conference yesterday, but I know a lot of you have a love for the Padres based on what happened in 2019 and we have not forgot about them they gave us such great memories that year winning that Texas League title and let's learn a little bit more about the Padres and how things are looking here in 2021 I got a great guest on the podcast now to do that his name is Kevin Charity he has been on before he is with the Mad Friars you can find them on Twitter at Mad Friars, also online at madfriars.com. They've been covering the Padres minor league system since 2003. These guys know their stuff when it comes to the minor league system of the San Diego Padres. Kevin, thanks for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, where are you at? Are you actually in San Diego right now, or are you stationed somewhere else? No, I'm stationed in San Diego. I live like 10 minutes from Petco Park. Okay. Do, do I dare ask you what the weather is like? <laughs> um, you know, it's been in like the 60s. I mean, it's, oh, it's, I live yeah. on the coast, so um, it's, it's been pretty nice. It's, it's basically the same every day. Like every now and then it rains, but definitely nothing compared to what you guys are going yeah. through out there. So I'm going to tell you to shut up right now because exactly. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had, you know, near record cold, like like the fifth coldest day in Amarillo history since they recorded records. Wow. And in fact, just before getting on here, we lost power and I was afraid we weren't even going to do this. And uh, our engineers running around right now trying to figure everything out. So we're not going to keep you on too long because they got to get in here and get everything back up and running at the radio station. But I, I want to know about the Padres because it's been a a very exciting offseason uh, for the team and the minor leagues as well. But first of all, just tell us a little bit about Mad Friars uh, in case anyone didn't really follow you guys in 2019 and they still want to know what's going on with the players in the system. What do you guys do at the Mad Friars? 
you know, in the, in the typical non-pandemic year, um, you know, we go to the various minor league uh, sites. You know, John John Conniff is a site runner, and he does a lot of the traveling. He you know he'll visit Fort Wayne, visited Amarillo, all the all the affiliates. And what we do is we, you know, we try to interview players. We we report news, and then every day when there is a minor league season, we do basically a, a little recap where we summarize who did what, um, just kind of to keep people in, in the in the know about the prospects. You know, there's certain guys in the system that casual fans and diehard fans want to know about, so we try to give as much information as we possibly can. Um, and you know, we're just kind of a all comprehensive. Um, minor league website that just tries to get as much information as they can out to the out to the people. And once again, that is online, madfriars.com, and you can also follow them on Twitter, at madfriars. And it's been a uh, unprecedented year last year because of COVID, and then we're going to have a brand new structure for minor league baseball as a whole. I think a lot of people aren't a big fan of 42 cities losing affiliation. Uh, that's not good, I think, uh, for the country. But as a whole, looking at how they restructure this 120-team system, what are your thoughts on that and how that turned out? Yeah, I, I think there's really two ways to look at it. Like you said, I think the part that stinks is you have 42 cities that lost minor league baseball. Uh, you know, out here in California, we had the Cal League in, in Lancaster, which is in LA County, lost their team, and they've been a you know a pretty pretty good uh, affiliate. They you know their attendance is usually pretty solid for the Cal League, and you know a lot of the short season teams are wiped out. So. I think from that aspect, it, it, it's terrible because, you know, I, I think those are those affiliates are really responsible for helping cultivate fans and markets where there obviously isn't an MLB team. From the MLB side, I, I understand it because I think it's just more efficient to have less teams. Um, you're, you're eliminating the organizational player, essentially. You're shortening the draft, which I think you know the question is, does a draft really need to be 40 rounds? The answer to that question is probably no. Um, so I, I certainly understand why Major League Baseball did it, but I think I wish there was a way for maybe some of these teams to, like the Frontier League and some of these other leagues that are partner leagues to, to become actual affiliates, just because I think in the independent ball doesn't have the same allure as like affiliated ball does. Because for, for me, the way I've always looked at it is you go to a game, you know, I live about an hour from Lake Elsinore, and so you go and see players play for the storm and you know in a couple of years they're in the big leagues and i think that's a lot of the fun of minor league baseball and i think taking that away from from a lot of a lot of cities and a lot of young fans probably isn't good and it may end up being something that you know maybe they regret over over time but i think it's definitely more efficient yeah, and I'm kind of with you on that. The great thing about affiliated baseball is that the players, you know, you can actually get to know them easily enough online by going to various resources. Like, you know, we've talked about here, Mad Friars, a great place to learn more about the the players in the Padres system. You can go to Baseball Reference and see how they've done and progressed and, you know, where they went to college and all that stuff. And it's just not the same with an independent league. And, and probably this, these partner leagues probably going to be kind of the same thing. Players that you – aren't really going to get as attached to because you don't know if they're going to be someone you might see on television one day uh, playing for the Major League Ball Club. Now, the Padres, they restructured as well like everyone else. Uh, three of the four uh, affiliates you had in 2019 remain the same. Uh, El Paso, still your AAA. Uh, Fort Wayne and Lake Elsinore, I believe, flipped. 
So now mm-hmm. Fort Wayne's the high A, Lake Elsinore's the low A, and instead of having Amarillo as your double A, you're back to San Antonio with the missions where before you were the triple A, but now you're the double A. W- what do you think of the new setup for the Padres and how that turned out? I think some of the reasons for San Antonio um, getting that that affiliation is the fact that it's a larger city, so that it's easy to get flights in and out. I think that might be part of the logic. Then also just because El Paso is such a hitter's park and Amarillo in the first year certainly played that way, I think having an affiliate that's a little bit more pitcher-friendly when you have young pitchers you're trying to develop, like a Mackenzie Gore, for example, um, is probably better. But I think you know the Amarillo um affiliation is certainly you know the, the the stadium is certainly a lot newer and, and better and i think that was a hard thing to lose because you know i, I saw the sights of you know, amarillo in, in the batting cage and everything just looked amazing there and so i think i think maybe that's the logic is that hey, maybe it's too too hitter friendly and going to san antonio where you're familiar with the organization and people that work there i think maybe that was part of the logic i don't know i don't know how the how how the uh you know the you know the musical chairs game work. I don't know if 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 they want to stay in Amarillo and and the, and the Diamondbacks just wanted to come in there, but I think hopefully it works out for, for everybody because you know from what I've heard, you know Amarillo is, was a great affiliate and the fans seem to really embrace the team as I'm sure you're aware of. So it kind of stinks to lose that because you know I was really hoping, looking forward to to getting out to games out there and um, and checking out the stadium. You know, I heard heard nothing but good things. So I think it's it's kind of a it's kind of a bittersweet thing, but you know, San Antonio's been an affiliate for a long time, and I, I think we'll probably be just fine, you know, as we go kind of over the course of time. And, and I know a lot of people here, uh, at least early on, uh, I think things will change because we just need to get back out on the field and start playing these games again. But early on, 100%. people, yeah, people are upset that we lost the Padres because they really enjoyed the Padres. They enjoyed the players. Uh, there were some that they grew an attachment to, and then of course, winning the Texas League in the dramatic fashion that they did just kind of put the icing on the cake for a season that's for sure going to be one that we will remember for a long time. But here, in, the good news is, even though you're in San Antonio, you're still in this, I guess, what, double-A central, they're calling it now. It's not, I mean, maybe they'll change names of these things at some point, but it's it's not technically the Texas League anymore, even though uh, I think of it like the Willis Tower. It's still the Sears Tower to me, you know, even though it changed its name, but it's still going to be the Texas League. You know, we got the two new teams, but and including San Antonio, but we're still going to see you guys here at Hodgetown probably a fair amount this year, depending on how they do that schedule, if they want to limit travel even more. Uh, we're going to be in the same division, and uh, we'll hopefully learn more about that schedule very soon, but what players from 2019 who played a large part on that team do you think could repeat at the double-A level, and we will be seen at Hodgetown this year. You know, looking at kind of the, the roster, um, when you go back to the championship game in September of 19, the only players from that team that started that are still in the organization are Kyle Overstreet and uh, and Yvonne Castillo, who they re-signed. I mean, Buddy Reed was traded, Pot, Hudson Potts, Larice Trends, Owen Miller, you know, so – not really a lot left in the organization to begin with, but you know when you look at some of the guys that contributed to that roster, I think a guy that you could see back would be like Tyler Colway, um, who who got to El Paso last year, um, but is kind of probably more of an organizational type player. Um, he's a really good hitter. Um, I, 
when I talked to Tony Tarasco, who was the store manager in 2019, he raved about his ability to hit. He just talked about he's the kind of player that once you get him in the lineup, he's hard to take out. Good left-handed stroke. Um, started developing some power. So I think he, he could be a guy that maybe goes back to double-A, depending on, on how their triple-A roster shakes out. And then, um, you know, maybe a guy like Brad Zunica, uh, who was the primary first baseman. Uh, he's still in camp. I don't think he's really, obviously with Eric Hosmer, Locked into the to first base uh, for the foreseeable future. He's a guy that maybe doesn't get a lot of big league opportunity, but you know isn't invited to big league camp. So maybe he returns to Amarillo. And then on the pitcher pitching side staff, you know a guy like Aaron Lesher uh, or Lesher who's in uh, big league camp. You know when it opens here in a couple of days, uh, he could be a guy that depending on the depth of, of the organization and if they give those triple a spots to some of their bigger prospects then i think he could be a guy that that returns to uh, to double a into the you know the double a central it sounds weird to say and <laughs> i think ultimately mckenzie gore could be a guy that, that ends up back in in double a just because he didn't pitch last year obviously um he was at the alternate site working out and there were some there were some issues with the mechanics that later come out. It was really hard to get information from that alternate camp. I live about eight minutes from it, and I tried walking around and, and see if I could <laughs> see anything, but I wasn't allowed anywhere near there. So um, they did a really good job of kind of keeping it like Fort Knox. Um, I, I I could see him going back to Double A just to have him pitch more in an environment that is closer to San Diego's environment. Where it's not this, you know, El Paso is an extreme hitters park. It, you know, it's an elevation. It's not the easiest place to pitch in. So I think I, I could see a scenario where, like Mackenzie Gore, even like a Ryan Weathers, um, even though he didn't pitch in Amarillo, he, you know, he's never pitched above Low A aside from the the one playoff game. But those are all guys that I think could be in San Antonio that you could see see in Amarillo next year. You talked about uh, Leisure real quick. He he wasn't with the Sop Poodles very long, but if my memory is correct, and that's not always the case, ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> I think he was the starting pitcher in the final game uh, against yeah, he, uh, he Tulsa, and, and he you know mm-hmm. kind of an unexpected guy to take the ball in the decisive game, and he got the job done. And he'll forever, in my mind, be remembered for the, the pitching performance he had against Tulsa at that time, which led to you know Tremel getting the opportunity to hit that grand slam. And uh, saying Mackenzie Gore back in double-A is interesting because obviously a, a, a really highly ranked prospect, and you're right, we didn't see him pitch a whole lot with saw poodles, but another reason might be the fact that you guys have had such a busy offseason stocking up the Major League roster, there really doesn't seem to be any room for them at that level right now. So uh, I just want to get your thoughts on the Padres offseason as a whole. Obviously a lot of focus on the MLB team, but what did that do to the farm system? Is it depleted? Is it still stocked pretty well? How do you think the Padres are shaped up going into the beginning of the year? I think the farm system as a whole is still good. When you look at some of the the rankings from like a Baseball America or your MLB pipeline, they still have the Padres as kind of a top you know top ten system, and it's still pretty pretty heavy at the top, especially when you consider they, they, they bought a, a top 100 prospect in, in, in Ha-Sung Kim. But I think where, you, where the system is thinned out is kind of in that middle, like the you know 10 to 30 spots, where uh, you know a year ago, two, you know two years ago, this is the, the deepest system 
in, in baseball by far. Obviously, when you make trades, and I think they've traded, I want to say, 40 players off their big league roster and prospects. Wow. Um, you're not going to have the same depth. That's just not possible. But I think what they did, in my eyes, just kind of looking at it without having any inside information, is they clearly identified the players who they, who they think have a future with, with San Diego. Guys like C.J. Abrams, you know, Mackenzie Gore, Ryan Weathers. Those are all guys they could have dealt and probably have given up less depth. I mean, for example, I feel like if, if they would have done the deal for, for uh, Hugh Darvish by giving up Ryan Weathers, they probably wouldn't have had to give up the four, four or five guys they gave up in that trade that were all kind of uh, you know, rookie-level type players that have a ton of upside. So a lot of those guys are gone. But um, I think overall, when you look at what they had to do, I, I think they were in a position coming off of last year, even in the 60-game season, that they clearly were one of the better teams in baseball, and they clearly had an issue because they went into that Dodgers series with, with one healthy starting pitcher in Zach Davies, and you know, the Dodgers ran right over him, which, you know, that was, uh, to me, it was kind of a wake-up call. Like, hey, we need to have pitching depth. So they went out and they acquired a bunch of starting pitching. And, you know, the way they did it, they, they did it all through trade. So there wasn't really, you know, you, it, it, it makes more sense to do it that way, um, to maybe to spend $35 million a year on, like, a Trevor Bauer. And so I think ultimately those the Padres have a lot of good young players, and those good young players appeal to other teams. And I think for the position that the team is in, where they're clearly a contender, those are deals that you have to make. And I still think the fact that they were able to do it, really only giving up one of their top guys in Luis Patino, is just a testament to how deep the system is. And and I've just I was shocked when you know they were able to make those moves and like you said you know they were able to keep a lot of their top ten guys and especially the elite guys you know getting a guy like mm-hmm. you Darvish now granted you're taking on some of the money too but you're getting a guy that finished second in the Cy Young last year sixty game season yes but as a Cub fan I watched him pitch all year long and he is every bit of it if you just let him do his thing. You Darvish is a great pitcher, and hopefully, you know, in San Diego, you just deal with the fact that he's slow. Don't speed him up. Let him be slow, because when he's slow, he's great, and you'll have a great pitcher on your hands. A lot of great moves. And do you think that the Padres did enough to surpass the Dodgers? Um, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they're going to surpass the Dodgers, and I don't think the moves were necessarily intended to do that. I think obviously the Dodgers adding Trevor Bauer here in the last last week that really I think widens the gap a little bit more. But I think what it is is they you feel like they can compete with the Dodgers. Um, it's it's just about getting into the playoffs at this point. And obviously the Dodgers, when you look at their lineup and the fact that they go seven or eight deep and they're starting rotation, it's not just guys. I mean Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, who don't really appear to have spots in their in their rotation would probably be, you know, twos or threes in a lot of teams, in a lot of good teams. And so I think for the Padres, having Blake Snell, you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, uh, you know, having Chris Paddock hopefully bounce back, having some other guys in, 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 in the organization, it's, it's about competing. And I think the Padres have a, have a pretty solid everyday lineup with two superstars. And I think Trent Grisham, who's very close to being an all-star type caliber player. So I think, the moves put them in the conversation with the Dodgers, but I still think the Dodgers on paper still have the better team, but it's, it's that gap is closed. Um, when you look at it last year, I mean, the Dodgers won the division pretty easily. 
Um, I would expect the Dodgers to still win the division by five or six games, but when you get into the playoffs and you get to a five game or seven game series, depending on, you know, if and when they match up, I, I feel a lot more comfortable assuming everybody's healthy where I could go out there and I have Lamette, Snell, Darvish, Musgrove, Paddock, maybe Mackenzie Gore, um, and then the bullpen that they've assembled, um, where I think their bullpen should be a, a real strength. Um, you know, having the guys like Drew Pomeranz, Emilio Pagan, and, and Melanson, and another guy they've they signed, I definitely think they can compete with them in a seven-game series. And I feel like that's more of the approach that that I look at it is. I, I still think the Dodgers are ultimately going to win the division, just looking at it objectively. Well, I think no matter where you look at it, if you look at the MLB side or the MILB side, the Padres have a lot of exciting things going on. It's going to be a fun race in that NL West this season. And I know here in Amarillo, even though a lot of those players have moved on to a to other things, whether it be up the chain or to other teams, uh, we're looking forward to seeing the Padres organization coming back to Hodgetown, even if it is as the visiting team instead of the home team. Kevin Charity... With the Mad Friars, once again, online, madfriars.com. On Twitter, follow them at Mad Friars. A great, great resource. Can't say it enough. If you want to follow the Padres farm system and all the great things that the, the team has going on there. Thanks for taking time to join us today, and I'm glad the power did not go out again. Of course, anytime, man. I appreciate, appreciate the time. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. I hope you enjoyed taking a look at Sod Poodle New and Old Big thank you once again to Kevin Charity of the Mad Friars. You can find them on Twitter, at Mad Friars. Their website, madfriars.com. If you want to keep up to date with what the Padres have going on in their minor league system, that is one of the best resources out there for you to do just that. Also, thank you to the Amarillo Saab Poodles for letting me be a part of that Zoom press conference yesterday, learning quite a bit about the future of Amarillo Saab Poodles baseball. Maybe soon we will have an answer as to when the season will get underway. And once it does, give me a beer, give me a hot dog, give me sunshine, and let me go out there to Hodgetown and enjoy some minor league baseball. Once again, you can like us on Facebook, Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Tom Talks BBP. You can listen to this and other episodes of our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And I want to thank you once again for tuning in this week to the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please give it a follow, give it a like. That way you can be notified when future episodes come out. Major League Baseball Focus episodes will be coming up soon as we are getting ready for spring training. Pitchers and catchers on the verge of reporting very soon. Excited to get baseball back here in 2021. Everybody stay warm, stay safe, stay healthy. We will talk to you next week on the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast.